to episode 44 of Get Out of Rap. Happy New Year everyone. We're in the third lockdown now so I hope you are all staying safe and well. Um, great guest to kick the new year off is Stephen Yap who's been in market research specifically customer experience research for over 20 years and for the last year or so has been working closely with the CCMA. Um, so hope you enjoy this and thanks for listening. Stephen Yap, Research Director for the CCMA. Thanks very much for joining Get Out of Rap, the first podcast of 2021. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks Martin. Thanks so much for having me on today. Happy New Year. It's Epiphany Day today, apparently. Epiphany Day? Yeah. Every day's got every day is something, isn't it? <laughs> I just thought Epiphany was quite good for someone that's job is around research. Yeah, I'm. I suppose I'm paid to have epiphanies. Uh, I'll, I'll let you know when I have one. I haven't had we, one yet today. <laughs> well, we've we've spoken a couple of times now, um, and I was like a lot of people, really lucky enough to hear your um, talking about the research that you've done on the CCMA's conference national conference in november um but but let's let's start with you Stephen. where um your journey to where you are now and the kind of you are the research director for the call center management association you're sharing your insights but what's what's your story shall we start at the beginning yeah <laughs> <laughs> um I'll, I'll try to keep this brief i'm not known for for being terribly brief or concise so so just tell me if i'm rambling on we are in do. trouble because i'm the same <laughs> <laughs> um i i uh, so if i really rewind to the beginning i uh, when i was a student i i studied um media and communication it was always been a topic that interests me i've always been fascinated by how information um, is disseminated and how people receive information um, and it continues to fascinate me to, particularly today um, in recent years with with the rise of social media with the rise of so many different channels and um, I think we've all witnessed um, how our society has been impacted by new information methods um, and I, I raised that because it, it set the scene I think for the career journey but also fast forwarding right into my work with the CCMA um, contact centers are ultimately a, a channel by which information is delivered and received. And um, it's very, very pertinent all the way back to my student days. I think, you know, things that um, I, I looked at and studied, you know, back at, back, back as a student, I think I still draw upon today. Um, but in terms of my career journey, um, I spent my, my, I spent a few years, my first career was actually in PR. I wanted to be a journalist and then I realized there was no money in that. <laughs> so uh, not that there's much money in PR so I did that did PR for a few years um, and then um, ended up spending 19 years in the world of market research working um, for 19 years for two companies uh, market research agencies one um, the first one was TNS which then became Kentar starting in um, in Hong Kong uh, and then moving back to the UK with with Kentar in 2008 um, and then um, the second company that I joined um, uh, in, in research was Ipsos. So I did, I did, I did research for a very long time. Um, and at the end of 19, uh, I set up on my own, decided it was time to, um, to try being self-employed. Uh, and here I am. I do, I do a number of things, but um, my relationship with the C CCMA is very much front and center among that. And um, 
I started, I started, um, my relationship with the CCA started about three years ago when I was still at Ipsos and I, I did a few presentations for them at a number of their sessions, a number of their uh, special interest groups and conferences where I used to come in and talk about sort of generally what was going on with, with people and, um, you know, trends uh, in customer experience. Um, in my research days, I had always done um, for 20 years, I've done I've done CX related research, primarily relationship based CX, but more recently, voice of the customer, sort of transactional in the moment, the sort of stuff that all contact center people will be familiar with, you know, were you happy with your interaction today? That was what I was doing for for the latter part of my, my career before setting up by myself. Uh, but I don't actually have a background in contact centers. Um, so I, I have done a lot of CX research over the years, um, but I'm re still a relative newcomer to, to the world of contact centers. And since working with the CCMA, it's been it's been a privilege and incredibly eye-opening for me to really immerse myself in that world and meet and interact with people in that world. I, I've learned so much um, just in that short space of time. What are the kind of key, what are the key takeaways? I'm just interested in that kind of transition to having some knowledge because if you like the contact centers the the vehicle the conduit isn't it you you're very much an expert of you were an expert and still are in cx and the, how that's manifested through a contact center but contact centers themselves weren't something that you were fully aware of how what's what's been the biggest kind of surprises of your kind of um immersion if you like i think contact centers i uh, if you come from the outside as I did, you perceive contact centers um, as being very operational in nature, which they are, of course, they're, they're, they're operational and the, the, the bread and butter of the contact center is, is running the operation and running it slickly and run, you know, managing your resources and a lot of the, uh, the conversations day in and day out are, are operationally focused. Um, but what I didn't realize is actually how strategic contact center operations are and how strategic contact center people are and um, although it, it, it's almost crazy to say it how incredibly knowledgeable and insightful about customers it, it, it sitting here saying that it seems like I'm stating the obvious but um, it's not necessarily obvious when you come from the outside world when you've when you've worked in CX but not necessarily with the contact center community so my CX interactions prior to working with CCMA would typically be with marketing departments um, and sometimes board level and not getting down to the front line of the contact center, the people who actually run the teams who are interacting with the customers. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very easy, I think, when you, when you um, are not close to the contact center to dismiss the contact center as being a downstream function who executes strategy. But what I've seen is the contact center is very much at the heart of defining and developing strategy not just a, not just a downstream function it's for, increasingly i think it's becoming an upstream function and it's becoming very much at the heart of, of 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 customer experience and i think the lines between what contact center people do and what the contact center as a function does versus the wider cx function the lines are becoming um much more blurred that's really interesting how from your knowledge of CX and I was really fascinated as well by something you said earlier about kind of that in the moment voice of the customer and the exchange of kind of emotions and I guess how from a, if you're in a contact center the people working there have to be aware of it and manage it from your 
previous experience, what have there been, if you could only pass on three things to people about CX and how to deliver it, what would those three things be? What a great question. I think um, that when, so I'll, I'll answer this from a researcher's perspective, because that's how I know to, how to answer it. Um, when you think about understanding, measuring um, customer experience, I think it's useful to think about it in broad brushstrokes, two different ways. You've got something which um, is known as relationship CX, which is um, essentially the experience that a customer has defined in the term in, in, in the terms of the total relationship. So when people talk about the impact on um, customer lifetime value, the impact on the customer's propensity to continue to do business with your organization, that, that is relationship CX. On the other side, you've got what I would describe as that in the moment transactional CX, which is specifically the experience of an interaction. And that typically is what contact centers deal with day in and day out. So did you have a good interaction today? Was your problem resolved? Um, did you have to spend a lot of time or effort in getting your problem resolved as a customer? Did you have any issues um, communicating with, with the advisor and so on? So that that's the two things are related. And I think the biggest challenge that all organizations have is trying to connect one with the other. Everyone wants to know the impact of individual interactions towards the overall relationship. And it's really, really hard to do. Yeah. So I think the, the first sort of out of those three points is um, to really try to nail it. You've got to look at the relationship between your transactional CX and your overall relationship. CX you've been it's there's no there's no easy or silver bullet answer to that it's a very challenging thing to try to uh, get your head around and it's different from organization to organization but the best organizations the ones that um, I think truly take CX and CX measurement seriously are the ones who aren't just measuring transactional CX separately and relationship CX separately but are connecting the dots are connecting those two and then uh, you may or may not be surprised, you know, to to learn that most organisations aren't doing it. Mm. That you know they're not really doing it well because mm. it's because it is fundamentally hard to do. So my my, my first point is, if you really want to properly understand what your CX looks like, is you've got to you've got to measure your relationship and your transaction, and you've got to look at how they how they relate to each other. I think the the second point about about CX is um, a lot of uh, I have to say, a lot, of, a lot of the research in the world of contact sense and CX is not very good. It's not very. There's so many bad stats out there. I'm afraid to say. Yeah. Um, and it's difficult. I think sometimes, if you know, because there's so much information out there as well. We're we're all yeah. You know, we're all subscribed in different newsletters. We, we all had see these different websites. There are many, many brands pushing information out there. Sometimes it, it can be difficult to sort the wheat, wheat from the chaff. And mm. um, looking around me, I think that, um, that, that, that we're drowning in information. We're drowning in noise when it comes to what, you know, when it, and there's, all, there, there's all kinds of brands putting all kinds of information out there. Um, and it's really difficult to know what's good information and bad information. And I think that's one of the things that we want to try to do at the CCMA, hopefully supported by 
you know, the 25 years at the CCMA plus years at the CCMA has been around and the credibility that the organization's brand has is try to put good information out there because there's an awful lot of not so good information yeah. there or information that, that is pushed out there with an agenda behind it. It, it doesn't mm. come from a place of impartiality. Mm. You know, we are trying to come from a place from of impartiality. Of course, a lot of our work has sponsors, brands behind it, but it is fundamentally CCMA work. We are not trying to push any particular agenda. We're trying to produce really good information that genuinely provides insight and helps organizations in the sector. So I, I guess the second point of, uh, for me, just to summarize that is, I think we're still at a very nascent place when it comes to research and insight within within CX and in the contact centers where at the moment it's you know there's just there's just a surfeit of mediocre information and we need to work harder to get to the good stuff you know there's just a lot of bad cheaply um, simplified research out there simplified research that um, that either leads to incorrect conclusions or is just simply misleading I suppose the third the third thing that I want to uh, I want to say and this is based on really having spent now um, probably the, a lot of 2020 really immersing myself in the contact center space is the contact center industry deserves more of its share of the limelight. It is chock full of incredibly smart, articulate, um, strategic people who I think actually uh, one, one, of, one of the the positive um, outcomes of the pandemic is I do think contact centers have actually become more noticed mm. uh, I hear a lot and um, and have spoken to a lot of contact centers leaders who have, who have said that um, they have more visibility now as a result of the pandemic because the pandemic has put contact centers front and center uh, within organizations as, as being very much the face of organizations you know during during recent times um, contact center people um, are some of the very smartest, some of the most knowledgeable people that I've worked with. And I've worked with people, you know, across all departments, you know, in many, many different organizations, large and small. Um, and they deserve to have their voices heard because um, nobody knows the customer more than the people who are talking to the customers or managing the people who are talking to the customers. No one understands the customer's agenda more than those people. And, um, I think a lot of organizations profess to be customer centric. How can you be customer centric if you are not genuinely putting your contact center people within your customer strategy? It, 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 seems, it seems like, again, an obvious one. I'm, if, you know, I'm sure it's obvious to, to many of the people listening to this, but I don't think a lot of organizations still consider the contact center and the people to be working with it within contact centers to be, to be front and center of customer strategy development. Completely. I couldn't agree more. Just thinking back to some of my previous workplaces and um, very progressive, actually, at the time, because it was some time ago, marketing teams coming and speaking to me and saying, can they can they sit with the guys and talk to them about variations or new products? Um, it, it, what I found was interesting is it was kind of right. Let's go and speak to people and say we're thinking of. Um, this was for financial services, add-on type services. We're thinking of offering the customers this, what do you think? And it's, you know, not necessarily liking the answers that they that they heard, which is, you know, our, the customers we speak to, they want to get, they call us for a specific reason. When we try and talk to them about other things, they don't want to know. We, we annoy them. 
and I don't think these products are relevant because of X, Y, Z. Six months later, we were on the phone talking to customers about those exact products, you know, and getting the response that um, people kind of predicted at the time. And it was hard not to, it was hard to be able to manage people's cynicism, if I'm honest, because you had people on the phone saying they came and asked us, we told them, and we're still here dealing with some of those things. But you, those are three really, really interesting points. I just want to go back to that second one, actually. Fascinated me. Is it what you're saying, just to be clear, you're saying you it must make your blood boil then that you you see research that's purported to be research, but maybe it's biased in some way or it's got some kind of headline and then that's the headline that people run with and that's all that people see because we're so... You know, you're scrolling through LinkedIn. You 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 read the top two lines. Is it is it that you're reading some things and we deserve better in terms of the output that is available to us? Is that what you're saying, or or that the scores are generally low? So let me give you an example. I was just <clears throat> one of the one of the, I, 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 you know I think we all see and are exposed to, to to this, and maybe I'm a little bit more sensitive to it than. Than most people, I, w- I was just reading a press release that came out just before Christmas, um, and there's many, many like it. I'm not singling. Well, I am singling this one out, but just, just, just to use this as an example. Um, so the, head- the headline was 69. We, we surveyed a thousand people, and 69% of people said they would would stop doing business with an organisation that gave them poor customer service. Now, most people would look at that and probably you know would scroll on you know but maybe that 69 percent would land and would be parked there somewhere and that's that then gets taken on as gospel 69 we'll lose 69 percent of our customers um but that statement is 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 fundamentally flawed right there's a number of reasons why and fundamentally um what people say in surveys does not necessarily reflect what they actually do so yeah. 69% of people are happy to say in a survey that if they receive poor customer service, that they will stop doing business with the brand. That primarily reflects the way that people respond to surveys. Of course, people are going to say they're going to stop. You know, If you had poor customer service, would you stop doing, doing business with an organization? No. <laughs> more, pe- yeah. more people are going, to, are going to answer yes and no. Do exactly. People, do, yeah. do people actually stop doing business? With an organization is completely a different a, a, a different concept to, to to how you would ask a question or how you would um, design a survey the way you would get to that answer is not through asking people because you know what the worst the wor- people are the worst at predicting how they behave you don't mm. you and i don't know how how we're going to behave you can ask somebody how they think how they perceive but you have to be really careful when you're making statements about how people behave do people genuinely stop doing business with organizations because they've received poor service? Yes, in, in, absolutely. In certain instances, I'm sure that's the case. Is it as high as 69%? Unlikely. And you can't make a, such a huge sweeping general statement as that. Mm-hmm. Why is it's Ryanair, far more nuanced, isn't it? It's hugely nuanced. Why is, why is Ryanair in business? Obviously, we're, you know, we're not doing much travel at the moment, but pre-COVID, why was Ryanair one of the most successful organizations in the world, despite the fact that it is, it is renowned for poor service. Yeah. It's not because it gives poor service. People are happy to fly over the Ryanair and knowing full well that they won't get a great experience. Yeah. It's because you know what Ryanair delivers and it does what it says on a tin and it's bloody yeah. cheap. Yeah. And it's bloody cheap. So 
putting out a blanket statement like that, knowing full work, well, uh, is it, basically it's it it. There's nothing there. It's mm. um it, it it's a completely empty statement. And this that's just one example. There are many many examples out there. I'm and and it's very easy to fall into that trap. You know, I have to. I find myself having to pull myself back when when designing research to fall into that trap because it's really really easy to create surveys that give you these these headlines these big headlines large percentages of people say that um, they are going to change their behaviors large percentage of people say that a bad experience is go is going to make them want to switch brands the reality is far more nuanced and far more different if and and, and you have to research it differently if you want to really understand how people behave, you don't ask people, you look at, you actually look at buying patterns, you look at brand switching behavior through actual behavioral data, not through, not by asking people. So, so, so you know, that's one example. And yes, I mm. think the industry does deserve better. And I, I do believe that, you know, uh, whether you're a researcher or not, a lot of people actually see through this, mm. see through this stuff. Um, you know, I think, I think there's a lot of stuff out there that vendors commission and you know supports their messaging and it supports their agenda but it's just fundamentally based on pretty spurious research um and i think we deserve a lot better i love that what of your um so from your presentations that you've done today uh, you know in november and then i think the the new year always gives people it's a arbitrary date in where people write reflect and think about the year coming ahead and um from the research that you've done for contact center managers or leaders out there what would you want to share with them from your um, research as being things to consider let's say i think while we're still in the grips of full lockdown all across the uk inevitably attention will um, and should be prioritized on on people on keeping the operation going on mental health, um, on maintaining productivity in, in an environment uh, that continues to be incredibly challenging. Um, and I think for all contact center leaders, there is a tension between uh, managing the requirements of the day-to-day -day and um, finding time and energy to get your head above the parapet and think mm. about and plan for the future and try to think beyond the immediate challenges of you know of trying to of keeping the operation going but what i'm seeing is you know the best you know the best contact centers are, are, are doing an amazing job of finding that balance and some of the most um uh, progressive contact centers are very much now becoming um a strategic function within the organization and they are very much sort of sitting at that top table where they are representing the customer and they have that they have that voice alongside you know alongside the finance team alongside the marketing department that informs um, uh, all kinds all kinds of strategic conversations r&d product development um, you know channel strategy media strategy um, investment strategies um, one of the one of the contact centres that um, we interviewed for re, you know for, for one of the recent projects with the CCMA um, is now positioned within their organisation as the if you like the 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 hub for all inbound customer contact 
and if you think about it, that that's what all contact all, all contact centers do. They they take care of all inbound customer contact. But for me, that is a really important distinction to make. If you if you change your technology your terminology and you think of yourself as you look after all inbound customer interactions that feels to me like a bigger and more strategic function than a contact center or a call center you know that's a big strategic responsibility within an organization so i think 2021 will be a year where we're still very much focused on keeping uh, the operation going, keeping the ship sailing. But I think it's a year where increasingly heads will go above parapets and there'll be more and more recognition in and out of the contact center of how important a function that, it, uh, that the contact center has. And while shops are closed, while in, you know, customers are increasingly um, focusing on digital channels and the contact center expands its channel um, coverage to, you know, to include emerging channels like, um, you know, not just chatbots, um, you know, web chat, but things yeah. like WhatsApp, yeah. you're going to see the contact center more and more be the front line of the organization. It is increasingly how the organization interfaces with its customers full stop. Yeah. And I think that I really like that point there around terminology, because I think, like you said, this hasn't changed. It, it, the contact center has always been the interface, the direct interface with the service you're providing, the products you're selling, how, how people are interacting with them. But now maybe in the word you used again, which I really like was maybe there's more prestige now attached to that or the, the kind of the voice at the table is tell us what you are hearing. How are our customers responding? How are they responding to our service? What do they need? What do they need less of? Um, and that kind of, when you add in the challenge that it's not a, most places are not a contact center now, certainly not at the moment, as we'd know them in our minds, people sat around, even in really nice spaces, it's people at home. And I think about new starters, we've taken on new starters. My son's first, um, experiences of work have pretty much all been home-based and there's a huge element of the working life that is missed because of that and you wonder the impact of that it'd be interesting to kind of follow this class of intakes through and see how their journey is different see how their experiences are different and maybe even how their performance is different yeah i i, I think uh, this might feel a little bit of a digression but it is that group that the the younger uh, younger folks who, who students today who people are just progressing on their you know on, on their career journey who are among the most impacted I think by the current situation you know, they're, they're frankly there is no substitute for for learning and being exposed to people in a physical environment if you want you know if you want to pick up skills it's it's just so much harder uh, to try to do that in a remote environment and we're all hoping i think that uh, once we get through this that um particularly for the you know for our younger workers for for those people starting out on the ladder um who need that exposure that they can they can get it sooner rather than later um but just, just coming you know coming back to um this idea this idea of of prestige i think it, it is about prestige and i think what i'm hearing is that contact centers have always had the expertise and always had the knowledge, but maybe not the permission or even the, 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 the desire to, um, 
to be seen as strategic and to be seen as prestigious. You know, the, the, my impression, having having talked to a lot of contact center folks over, uh, even just in the last twelve months, is that they are. Um, Contact center people tend to, you know, tend to. A lot of them have come up through the ranks. They started, they started on the telephones themselves. They work themselves way up, and they're really focused on their own people. They're probably focused more on their own people and on their teams um, than on managing upwards and, you know, on, on their own career progression, which is, you know, which is amazing if you think about it, you know, and it's a testament to them. Um, and it's it almost comes as a little bit of a surprise when they're told actually you know we want to hear from you and we want you to take a bigger role in the wider organization they people look around oh actually me really is that you know is that something that i can do you know that that seems like seems like a big step up and then um when they f at, at that seat to the table and they, and they find that actually they've really got a lot to say and a lot to offer and a lot to contribute you know that's that's a that that can be a revelation for a lot of people, but I think we're going to see a, we're going to see more of that, and I think there'll always be a focus on the team. There'll always and there always should be a focus among leaders on on their own people and their own operation. But I think we're going to see leaders increasingly more and more visible, noticed, embedded, and others from outside of the the contact center function will will have better understanding of how valuable and how knowledgeable the contact center function is, and. One other thing that I've seen, which I think is also important to raise and related to this idea of contact centers becoming more important, more strategic and more valuable is contact centers historically have been synonymous with customer service. Customer service um, suggests a downstream function. It's customer service. It's taking care of queries. It's answering queries. Where's my yeah. stuff? When's it going to yeah. get delivered? I've got a problem. That, of course, still is very much the bread and butter of every contact center, but more and more, we're seeing contact centers not only expand in terms of the range of channels in which they operate, but also the range of customer journeys that they serve. And a lot of organizations are now using their contact centers, not just in the post-purchase journey arena, but also in the pre-purchase, path to purchase. So actually contact centers are becoming more and more instrumental as a way to generate revenue to help guide customers towards products and services and make recommendations and build awareness of products and services. We're seeing this a lot uh, within the um, packaged goods environment, within uh, the white goods environment, where, for example, um, contact centers would, would deploy in, uh, advisors. Um, one of the, um, I've, I've spoken a number of times with um, uh, a, a contact center within the, uh, the cosmetics environment. And they have a team of dedicated advisors. If you think about the cosmetics counters at department stores and the highly trained people, you know, the cosmetics advisors that, that um, typically have historically worked within the ground floor of department stores. Now, um, unfortunately, a lot of depart you know, department stores are, are hurting right now, but that function has moved to the contact center. So now you've got these beauty advisors working within contact center um, environments and entirely generating revenue because they, in they interact with customers making recommendations and, and advising on products. And we're seeing that within financial services as well. And contact centers are being used not just to service 
um, existing account holders, but to advise and guide people who are interested in opening new accounts and getting advice on new services. So again, I think this is perhaps accelerated by the pandemic by the fact that traditional channels um, such as high street stores have become more constrained for customers who are now turning to, to contact centers to not just help them with existing purchases or existing accounts, but help them buy new products and open new accounts. That's fascinating. And I, I think we've seen that um, there's a, a company we work with and one that has won um, awards, a friend of mine heads it up and they sell health products, health food products, um, supplements, vitamins, that kind of thing. And the, the guys there on the, on the phones are phenomenally knowledgeable, phenomenally knowledge. It's, it's staggering. And um, it does them a disservice to attach any sort of contact they're, they're on the phones they're, they're so much more than they're so much more than what people perceive that to be so it, it's it's great to hear I've got I've got a question for you that um, there is and it's great that there is this kind of focus on this word and what it means and we see it in our industry of quality monitoring but what for you does insight mean so this is kind of like this buzzword, insight, insight, insight. What for you, with all your experience and expertise, does it mean? An insight is a non-obvious truth that when revealed can be used to uh, help an organization um, serve its customers in new and better ways. That's textbook. <laughs> I love I, I love that. And that's straight off the top of your head. I mean, you put me on the spot there, Martin. I could probably think about that one and give you a better one. But that's, no, that's, you're through to the final is. right now. That's what it is. The top, <laughs> top of my head. You, so it's non-obvious because you've got to you've got to mine it. You, you know, it's not. It doesn't just sit there waiting to be understood. Um, you know, it's obvious to everybody. You've got to go find it out. And typically, as researchers, we find it out by talking to to people, whether it's customers or people who deal with customers or people in the organisation. So you find you, you mine it by by interviewing and then by by you know, by analysing the content of those interviews. Um, you can have qualitative insights. You can have quantitative insights. Um, but it's really less about how you get there. It's more about the value that it brings. An insight is only an insight if it if it if it has the potential to bring value. Um, but then, we and researchers um, uh, love to talk about this. An insight also um, doesn't necessarily bring value by itself. An insight is only valuable if it's acted upon. And uh, the challenge we—I've talked a little bit about spurious and and bad research, but the, I think the challenge that organizations and researchers within organizations have is is usually not getting to the insights but it's in how do you get your insights acted upon mm. and you're into the you're into the the realm of um organizational dynamics change management um stakeholder management um and um you know that's it, it's almost easier to find the insight than it is to actually make sure that it's used properly mm. And if you've got this mechanism that keeps delivering it, it could be overwhelming, I guess, for operationalizing some of that insight. You know, you kind of yeah. like, at one point, you're like, kind of just stop a second. Let me let me sort this bit out before you start giving me more. Yeah, absolutely. That. And I think we've we've started to see over the last couple of years, uh, something of a backlash within the world of CX insight. 
um, I, I think we're all we, we've all seen articles. We're all familiar with you know. There's huge debates about NPS. NPS has almost become a victim of, of its own popularity, where people are now challenging it um, and saying, "Well, NPS doesn't predict anything." NPS, you know. But uh, th there's also um, a backlash against um, what some people feel is uh, the overuse of surveys and customer feedback. Um, and you know, I've got some sympathy for that. You know, it, it, some in, in in some situations it borders on the spamming. You get spam for feedback. You can't. It seems like you can't in, have an interaction these days without asking someone asking your you know your feedback, um, and it can get a bit tiresome. And the, I think the the challenge, both for customers and also those working within organisations, if you if you don't understand or you don't have any visibility over how that information is used. And you're being asked for your time, you know, either in 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 um, giving that feedback, but then there's no closing of the loop. Then you become very cynical very quickly. If I'm asked every time I have an interaction for my feedback and I give that feedback, but then I there's no there's no feedback back to me of how that information is being used or if there's any value in that information being collected. Then why should I why should I give that information? You know that's why I think we're seeing a lot of cynicism now for that, you know, for that sort of transactional type of voice of customer feedback because it's everywhere and it's become everywhere and we're all a little bit tired of surveys. Mm. Oh, I absolutely can resonate that you know buy into that because if you think about it, I was just thinking then about some of my interactions online with my bank, for example. You have at the front end you're going through accepting cookie, you know, accept cool cookies, whatever. So you have that get in without fail. Every interaction is followed with a, please rate this, please rate this service. And even just closing them down, there's multiple clicks. It's like first world problems. I have to click three times, poor me. But I think you're right. It's when those are done, it's few. And I think, I consider myself in the industry. I do it very rarely, very, very rarely. And then do I do it with much thought behind it? Only if the interaction has piqued my interest in some way or something different has happened. Very rarely is it a, I, don't, I can't see what anything anyone gains from me scoring something an eight when I haven't really given much thought behind it. Right. So just as I think we're... Uh, we're in that nascent period where, in my opinion, you know, there, there are a lot of misleading research headlines out there based on spurious research, but we're starting to come through that. And I think people are starting to see through it. And there's more and more of a demand, I think, for, you know, for, for better. And, and we deserve better. I think the same is true of this transient voice of customer environment, where in the last 15 years ago, also driven by the you know the explosion of the number of vendors and the ease you know it's it's easy and it's cheap there's no there's no incremental cost in 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 asking somebody over a digital channel to give their feedback um in that 15 years we've just seen a massive explosion of um of feedback mechanisms and feedback mechanism tools that have given rise to this this fatigue that we all feel and as a result response rates have dropped i think we we're starting to come out of that phase and into a phase where now um, you know, and I don't think this is disingenuous because I am part of that feedback industry myself. I worked in that industry myself, right? And um, I think the best, the best organisations, the best brands, and indeed the best vendors who are providing those tools and those mechanisms are actually actively 
trying to combat that fatigue and design and implement more intelligent ways of gathering information than just spamming somebody um, you know uh, a survey request every time they have an interaction you know they're, they're they're doing it more intelligently they're picking the right moments on the right journeys um, they've got controls to make sure that you don't get you know more than a certain amount of feedback requests you know for the same provider over a certain period of time they're designing surveys in a far more engaging way um, because let's face it a lot of surveys, mm. surveys are fundamentally quite boring mm. and um, there's a lot of attention being paid to making surveys more interesting so that more people respond but very importantly of course the responses are, are genuine responses no that's really interesting just as we come to the to the end I just wonder what's on your to-do list what have you got that's coming up that um is you're particularly kind of interested by your kind of thing oh this is going to be good i'm asking because hopefully we can come back and revisit it once you've done it <laughs> yeah i'd love to um we've got big plans with the ccma this year um and we've we've got a roadmap for research this year that essentially is consists of four pillars um so I'll, I'll just briefly outline each of the four pillars. The first one is customer research. We did a little bit of customer research in 2020, which was actually was um, the basis of the presentation that I gave at the CCMA National Conference uh, in November, which um, you attended, Martin. So we're going to build on that work um, and, and make it bigger and really tr provide what hopefully will be a, an authoritative view of customer interactions within the contact center. and. Um, it occurred to me when I when I did that work in, in Q3 of last year um, that there actually isn't that much there. There isn't that much. Again, I, I don't want to sound you know, consistently critical, but there seems to be a gap in terms of actually genuine research within contact center space, targeting the contact center industry to understand how customers interact, whether it's what channels they're using mm. or to understand the nature of those interactions. Yeah. Um, or how it differs across different customer groups. So if you think back to the work we did um, that was presented at the conference, you know, we showed we showed differences by by age groups. We showed that not all interactions were equal. We showed how um, yeah. the desire to self-serve or the desire to use advisor assisted channels was very different depending on the nature of inter in interaction. And actually that's quite simple stuff yeah. in, you, you, in, you know, that's not as in research terms, that's not complex research, but um, I don't think anyone's really done anything like that before, at least as far as I can see. And I think we can build on what we did last year and, and, hopefully this will become an annual benchmark where we really look at customer behavior and customer contact behavior specifically. Um, so I'm really excited by that. Um, the second pillar, which I'm equally excited by is to actually look at um, the people, to look at people within mm. the contact center. Um, and uh, we're working on plans. We've got a number of projects actually that speak to this. Uh, I've, got, I've got one now that um, I'm working on um, in fact, I've got a, an interview straight after this this recording, Martin, where we're we're looking at change within the contact center. That's a really interesting topic for me. We're going to launch that one in February, um, and the uh, we're interviewing for it now. And the idea is, how does change happen? And um, I'm really interested in this idea of do advisors have a role to play in driving change? Because there's so much knowledge and there's so much insight within within uh the advisor community and within the teams but coming back to this idea of um how do you act upon that insight to what extent do contact center leaders and their wider organizations tap into that insight and do they act upon it and 
um, what does good change look like? What does you know? Had what have, have have there been examples? I'm sure there have been examples of bad change. You know, it's it's not always change isn't always for the positive. So I really wanted to unpack that and essentially understand the extent to which organisations listen to the people on the front line, and do people on the front line feel like they have a voice upwards into the organisation? More power to you on that one. I couldn't agree more. I think that's great. Uh, third pillar is around operations so we've we've got plans within the ccma um to uh, to do more research focused specifically on operations we probably haven't fleshed that one quite as much yet we've been focusing more on the customer and colleague side of things um ccma is launching a benchmarking program this year um which may or may not be um something that we can use as as, as input into our operations research. So we're, we're looking into that and still and still scoping that one out. Um, and the fourth pillar is, is technology. And I, again, I think there is room uh, within the space to, to look at technology. And I'm really interested in this topic because of course there's so many vendors and there's so much messaging that comes from vendors. You've got the likes of Gartner and Forrester, everyone's familiar with the likes of the Magic Quadrant. Yeah. Um, I think there's, there's there's space to actually talk to people, uh, both from the vendor community, but also those people responsible for procuring and implementing technologies to understand best practice. So again, looking me coming in from outside of the space, the questions I'm asking is what what do you need to know um, as a contact center person if you're selecting a vendor? What are the best practices if you're implementing? A new technology implementation what are the learnings what are the do's and the don'ts what are the pitfalls and yes there is vendor messaging out there but again it's not impartial messaging and vendor messaging obviously comes with its own agenda attached now i'm really inter interested in exploring that question what have been the good and the bad learnings or the you know the experiences from from previous technology implementations what are some of the things that you need to look out for both when selecting procuring but also implementing um, you know, new technologies, whether it's a new channel, like a chatbot implementation, whether you're, I think most contact centers by now have moved to cloud, but you know, there's, there's, there's probably something there around further cloud implementations. There's probably something there about um, dialing up remote working capabilities, technology capabilities. So those are the four pillars. So we've got big plans. Um, you can expect to see every month, more or less new, new research coming out from the CCMA. So they, We'll be keeping very busy indeed. That's great. That's great to hear. And I really look forward to it. And hopefully um, you come back on and we can talk about some of the research that's that's being done. I'd love to, Martin. Stephen Yap, it's been fascinating. Thanks very much for sharing. I'm sure everyone that's listened will have gained something from, from what you've shared and your expertise. It's, it's been brilliant. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. What an interesting guy Stephen is and um, more to come for sure. Thanks as always for listening. Um, as you know, the podcast supports Naomi House and Jack's Place. I'll put a link in the comments on LinkedIn for how you can support me in the fundraising I'm doing for them. As always, thanks again. Stay safe, everybody. Bye-bye.